the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, it is a delight to bring back to the show Congressman David Schweikert. He represents Arizona's 1st Congressional District. Thanks for joining us again, David. Glad to have you back. I hope you're doing well and a blessed Lent to you, if that's the right uh, greeting. Uh, I hope it is. That's fine. Uh, I'm one of those who's... um Picking up his little girl right now, and we're heading our way to go get ashes in a few minutes. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I, you know, I was remarking earlier um, that I have uh, that uh, I have noticed more and more on television, more and more, more and more women uh, guests on television, cable news, uh, wearing ashes, and I, I just don't remember seeing as much of that in years past. And I have to tell you, there seems to be, seems to be don't want to get too far ahead of the skis these days, but with that college that's been written about and writ up, there just seems to be a bit more of a religious rival, uh, revival going on in this country. I don't know if you're sensing it or feeling it. We sure um, need it, uh, but I don't know if you're sensing or seeing it. Well, we desperately need it. I don't see it yet. Okay. Being someone, you know, often when I go to Mass, um, you know, we have a seven-month-old and, you know, seven-year-old and we look around and, and are heartbroken how few children there are. Yeah. So this, so maybe I'm more sensitive on that end. Yeah. Um, but there is something that's fascinating that I didn't expect. If you are on Capitol Hill today, the number of young people, yeah. all of a sudden you look around in the hallways yeah. who will have gone to mass or gone to um, get ashes or things of that nature. And, and that's where my hope is. Yeah is, you know, these, you know, 27-year-old who have master's degrees, they don't know anything about the world, no. but they're freaky smart. Yeah. Um, and the number of them who are willing to display um, a symbol of Christianity. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I was picking up on that, and I guess just more lately, given the story out of this, uh, is it Asbury College in Kentucky, I suppose, that was making news and other headlines about how it's sparking movements at other Christian colleges around around the country and uh boy if it comes from there and it becomes i don't i don't i don't mean to degrade it and you won't take it that way I just I didn't mean it this way but you know if if that movement is shown to be hip and cool from the young in college you know a lot of even younger people than that they look up to college students you know that could be where well, it comes from you know if it came from the colleges wouldn't that be an irony of the times but probably a very good thing for the times too um i will go with that um, I need you to think a little more gr- grander. And I, for everyone who's listening, we're sorry to get off on this. No, we aren't. We love it. <laughs> we love it. The United States actually has a history of having gone through sort of um, cycles of religious revival. Right. Um, right. Many, there's many scholars who believe one of the key factors of the abolitionist movement yes, of course. and starting of uh, the Civil War yeah. was the decade before that. There had been a substantial movement in the country back to God. Yep. Yep. And so you see a number of those over our history. And truly, um, I'm terrified when I look at demographic information. Mm-hmm. And I and I mean the two come together. Mm-hmm. The in in 
19 and a half years, there will be more deaths in America than births. Mm. Um, even today, there's some amazing stories of young men and their, their failure to enter into society, mm-hmm. to failure to graduate college. Mm-hmm. Or to go to work, married. even, right? right. Um, you know, the number of young people... You know, on the female side, it seemed to be doing well, but young men just crashing and burning mm-hmm. with not even relationships. Mm-hmm. Those are, I think, often symbols that a society has sort of lost mm-hmm. structure, mm-hmm. faith faith in institutions, mm-hmm. let alone faith in just, you know, the dear Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, there's, a, there's reason, there's powerful stories out there. Why are young people so miserable? Right. Right, and, and 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 what shocks me is the left doesn't see that the two are going hand in hand. You have a society of miserable young people and a society of people who've walked away from religion. Yeah, that's right. Because last year, I think the statistics were that we hit the lowest point of church attendance, maybe church and synagogue attendance in our history, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah. So those two things are operating at the same time, and yeah, you you wonder what what the real social safety net of this society is if it isn't there, right? Well, and there's the, the, the problem is, what institution do people believe in? Right, right, right. I was thinking a little bit about, you know, some of those things you're talking about there. I think of it in terms of a society has forces of composition and it has forces of decomposition. Which one is, is, is on the increase? Which one is on the acclivity? Which one is on the decline? And one of the things I talk about with the audience a lot lately, David, I'd love your thoughts on this, is, you know, we are obviously, in many respects, at our wealthiest point as a country, given, you know, the concerns you have, of course, as part of that. But we are obviously at at our wealthiest point as a country in our history. We have more access to more knowledge at our fingertips than ever before in the history of the world, never mind just this country. Um, and at the same time, we are seeing declining, uh, declining uh, longevity, we are seeing declining education scores, and we are seeing greater and greater deaths due to drug poisonings. It's a very odd thing. Declining, that, declining longevity thing is almost unheard of in developed nations, almost unheard of. It's a weird, um, weird moment, isn't it? It's both a weird moment, but... Um I beg if you don't think of it as complete cultural trend. Okay. It, it is, but you have to break through it. Um, okay, um, longevity, particularly with white males. Yep. Um, opioids. Mm-hmm. Um, health. Yep. Um, yet you look at some statistics of, hey, if you make it to 60, all of a sudden you're actually, you may you know, have a high likelihood of making it to your 90. Okay. So we have a society now where, huge number of us are going to spend one-third of our life in retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a, a just stunning number of young people committing suicide, yep. dying of opioids, those yep. things. But the young actually do some additional skewing of the data. Okay. Um, we're a wealthy nation, but we have to be honest. We have a problem where the wealth is somewhat been... Is the middle class is essentially poor today yeah. they were just a couple of years ago. Yeah. And that's a combination of inflation, wages not keeping up. Um, so in some ways, the poor 
have, I can't say the word done okay, but their numbers didn't crash because of lots of transfer payments from government. Right. And the wealthy, because they own assets, Mm -hmm. and assets do fine during times of inflation, but those of us who live on our wages Mm -hmm. got crushed. Yep. So it's, they're happening, but every single one of them is fixable on its own cause. Mm -hmm. It's not just, hey, this is complete cultural rot and there's no way to stop it. Good economics would take care of this. A a radically different drug policy and intervention would take care of it here. A society that values relationships and people would take care of this. Of course, too, you know, one of the things we've we've talked about is the ability for us to be able to talk about the things that we need to talk about to take care of this. Some of these things people don't want to talk about, don't want to hear about. Obesity plays a big role in this. That would be one example, one shining example of something that becomes seems to become increasingly difficult to talk about. I was giving a talk to a group in town yesterday, David. Uh, they asked me to give a talk on uh, drug abuse and drug prevention and that sort of thing. And a woman started talking about obesity. And I said, you know, five years ago, <laughs> five years ago, um, it would have been a, a harder audience for me to talk about drug abuse and drug prevention. Right now, it's even harder to talk about obesity than drug prevention. It's an odd thing, isn't it? I don't know if you're noticing it, that, too. It, it, it both is, but there's hope. Okay. Um Look, I accept sometimes I lack certain governors. So, but you know, I've done some of the floor speeches of what um, obesity and ultimately um, the misery and suffering of type two diabetes, yeah, right, right, and renal failure and those things. Right. But but even some of the other subjects of you know um, family formation, right, males and 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 I've done you know international speeches on it. You know yep. where I'm getting you know half million views on YouTube. Yep. And shockingly, I'm getting people from the left saying, you know, Schweikert, I hate you because you're yeah. a conservative, yeah. but yeah. at least someone's talking yeah, about Yeah, you're getting Bill Maher so, for sure, for sure. For, I so, have to take a break. Do you have to go or do you want to stay? It's up to no, you either no, way. No, we're good. We're, we're all right. Good Great. Thanks, David. David Schweikert is my guest representing uh, CD1 here in Arizona. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a privilege to have uh, Congressman David Schweikert with us, representing uh, Arizona's 1st Congressional District from where we broadcast. Uh, David, when COVID started and then the various mitigation strategies started coming out, I kept saying things like, be careful, there's public health and there's public health. Some of this, some of these strategies and some of these uh, policies are going to have other ramifications. Uh, I was particularly thinking of our youth, education, and mental health issues. But when I would say there's public health and there's public health, people wanted me to kind of explain that. And you're kind of unique in seeing public health as more of a one kind of, is it fair to call it a unified field theory that takes in all of these things or tries to take in a lot of these things? Anyway, you you try not to segregate them is your point. I would go much bigger than just public health. I think all of society and and economics and those things. Um, Public and civic health, all health. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so so, so let's say... um, Having a, a healthy population is really good economics. Right. Really good economics is a powerful tool to taking on the debt because you need the economic growth. Well, a society that's healthy is also much more unified. I mean, there's there's lots of things, and you keep trying to explain. If you come to me tomorrow 
and say, David, I need you to give me a plan to balance the budget. Okay. Okay. I can balance the budget in, in, in a decade, <laughs> but you've got, you got to understand how brutal it is. And one of the key factors is I need a society that works. Mm-hmm. I, when I say works, I mean works. Work. Um, I, I, you need incentives to participate in the labor market. Mm-hmm. You need um, incentives to take risks and have entrepreneurship. You need disruptions. You need, um, we're going to have to fix the immigration system. Mm-hmm. Remember, we're a country... In 19 and a half years, we have more deaths than births. Mm-hmm. So people don't, you know, it, it, it may not be the world you look at, but half the states right now have declining population. You know, um, you start to think about that, and now you come back and say, I need the unified theory. Mm-hmm. I need really smart economics. I re- need really smart social policy. I need you know, um, government to be much less smaller and less intrusive, but I also need my churches, my communities, my schools also to be firing at all cylinders. And there really is this whole model out there sort of called the unified theory of society and economics. And because it's not enough saying, we did a really good tax cut over here, but we screwed up everything else. No, that's right. That's right. Or we did, we did all these new regulations to keep people safe by using huge bureaucracies instead of technology, and then you did this incentive over here for jobs, well, you just killed it. Yeah, you, You've got to make sure everything's working, sort of pushing the same direction. You know, one of the things I have been um, impressed by, uh, the last couple announcements for the presidency that uh, one this week, this is not an endorsement. It isn't. I've, I've told people. But the the one that today came from Vivek Ramaswamy and then one a week ago from Nikki Haley, they are talking about uh, some of these. They call it national identity crises, but they're talking about the importance of institutions like mm-hmm. faith and family that have taken such a kick in the teeth, if not, you know, other places. And 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 that we will not succeed unless we are willing to talk about reinstoring and reinstilling faith in those institutions. That they really are. Uh, Daniel Moynihan once said the best. De- no, it wasn't. I'm sorry. It was Michael Novak. Michael Novak once said the best Department of Health, Education, and Welfare is the American family. Yeah, and and it still holds out true. And that statement also puts many of the left in rage. Um, I think it's you'll find it's also people from the left who despise their own family. Right. Um, but if you just the math is the math, and at some point um, you got to look down and realize the math is going to win. If once what's still till this day, what's the most powerful way um, to take on poverty is um, you know uh, family stability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know these things are sort of just life truisms. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like sometimes, however, we're pushing up against a political movement that really does believe in destruction, in the destruction of those institutions? I mean, really sincerely does, thinks it's not necessary, thinks it's in fact worse than old fashioned? Um, I'm more cynical than you on this. Okay. I believe there are those folks who um, consider. Um, faith and society and institutions is limiting their whatever desires. Okay. And therefore, 
um, they lash out. Okay. Um, so, because the, the you know there is this sort of concept. Why do we have laws? <laughs> you know, if men were angels. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't need them. Mm-hmm. And yet now you see the defund the police, mm-hmm. the you know um, these other types of things around us, and you realize it's lashing out at the very things that create a stable society because it's limiting. Um, what would be absolute craziness in that society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how much of it do you put on political? Maybe this is an unfair division, um, because part of part of it is I'm, I'm looking at more and more from the education system that a lot of people became so awakened to, awoken to over the last couple of years. But I, I was going to divide that from the political realm. But frankly, I think what has happened is the political realm invaded the education realm. I think there's a lot of that going on, too. Uh, Okay, ultimate question. Um, what comes first? Yeah. Uh, you know, culture? Right. Or politics? Right. You know, we always hear that term, you know, which is upstream from the other. Right. And I still believe culture dominates politics. Yeah. Okay. Because, cult, you know, if you have a culture that's rotted enough, then you can have politics that address it. And you've got to meet some of the people I have to work with. <laughs> um, they really believe things that, I mean, are just terrifying. So somewhere in this country, there's a congressional district with 800,000 people that's willing to um, elect someone who believes, you know, yeah, it's it's okay to kill the baby, you know, halfway out the womb. Or, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I know that's an extreme one, but it's true because there's living examples of people voting that way. Yeah. And and you start to think that through. Is it the politician? Or is it the people yeah. who elect them? Yeah. And at some point, we all have to take responsibility that um, we get really angry at the politicians for doing things. Are they a reflection, yeah, though? Yeah, where they learn it? Where they learn it? Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And this was a little different of a conversation. I'm glad we had it, David, and maybe it's appropriate that we did specifically on the beginning of Lent. So I'll, I'll end where I began and... Thank you always for joining us, but may you have a blessed and reflective Lenten season. Thank you. Yeah, and so, a blessed one to you, and now I'm you, on my way to go get some ashes. All right. And tell Olivia <laughs> I said hi. Does she remember her visit here? Oh, of course she does. Well, bring her back, for she goodness sake. about your toy box. Yeah, we have we probably new and improved ones. Yeah, bring her back. All right. It'll be fun to see her. Goodbye now. Bye, David. In his State of the Union speech, Joe Biden doubled down on his spending plans even more, adding even more to the federal deficit, which does not bode well for the value of your money. Joe Biden's disconnected view of the economy means that there will be no meaningful steps taken to lessen inflation and lower interest rates. Your cash reserves and investments will be worth less, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold from the only company, Seb Gorka, I, and many of you already know, the Midas Gold Group. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the destruction of inflation and the ruin of a recession. Don't let Biden's misguided economy wipe you out. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, Give them a call at 480-360-3000, 480-360-3000. I didn't expect to go here, but someone, something from my chat with David Schweikert there um, kind of steered me in this direction. Many of you may know um, 
what I'm about to say. And if so, it's because repetition is the essence of pedagogy. But out of the Brookings Institute, which is not a conservative think tank, in fact, it's many consider it, you know, the chief leading liberal think tank in Washington, D.C., kind of the mirror opposite of the Heritage Foundation, if you will. But they have two welfare experts over there, uh, also liberals. Uh, One is Ron Haskins and one is Isabel Sawhill. And they reached a conclusion some years ago that they have replicated in study after study after study on how to avoid poverty. And if you know it, it's because of the research from them. And if you know it, it's because many of us have seized on it and think the imprinting of this message is so important. But you can, as a young person, virtually assure that you and your family will avoid being poor in this country if you follow three elementary rules. Complete a high school education at the very least. Graduate high school, rule one. Graduate high school. Find a full-time job if you don't go off to further education or the military. You have to work full-time. You graduate high school, work full-time. And then three, wait until the age of 21 and get married before having a child. Wait to the age of 21 and get married before having a baby. You follow those three rules and you will be insured in this country not to live a life of poverty. It is amazing when you think of almost all of those criteria, how much of a war is against each and every one of them. Think about it. Think about the push against each and every one of them. It wasn't that long ago when the universe of politics in this country was concerned about high school and middle school dropouts. That was a big thing in the early aughts, the early 2000s. That was a big deal. It was a big deal at least until COVID hit. And then all of a sudden, school became less and less important. And there seems to be a callous disregard towards those that have not been found to have gone back to school since they left. That number is 250,000 in America. 250,000 we cannot find if, where, or when they are being educated. Most of them, if not all of them, aren't being. Work. Think about the work ethic and think about how that, too, was destroyed over the last several years. We told people work was unimportant. We told the people that the desire to go to work and to keep your business open and to employ people would find you in criminal and civic sanction. Marriage, that's been under assault for a long time now. And heaven forfend you combine that with having a child. It's interesting that the movement that speaks the most on behalf of or claims to speak the most on behalf of the impoverished is doing the most to take a wrecking ball to each of the independent silos when combined is the surest guarantee not to live a life of penury and poverty. Kind of interesting. Be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 I don't know if you saw this uh, three days ago. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, was giving a, um, a talk school on the American Rescue Plan, and she tweeted out a picture of herself kneeling down or, I guess, bending at the waist and holding the hand of a young girl. And Kamala Harris, of course, is unmasked. And this young girl, it can't be more than four or five, is wearing a mask. And she posted this on Twitter with this message. I'll just read it exactly as she has it. My message to black women and girls everywhere, never ask for permission to lead. My message to black women and girls everywhere, never ask for permission to lead. Why couldn't it just be women? I, I mean, I, I, have, I, I am so despairing of this notion. Why wouldn't it be true for all women? Why is that message not for every woman? And, and I get what she's saying, I suppose, but permission to lead? I, I mean, when, let me, I'll, I'll leave that alone for a moment because I want to I focus on the bigger issue here. That this young girl has a mask while Kamala Harris is bending over to talk to her without one. Who's more at risk, by the way? Who's more at risk? Neither of them at much. Which gets me to the piece in the New York Times by Brett Stevens. The mask mandates did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? How many people are going to resign or threaten to resign from the New York Times for having this piece published in the New York Times? where it was published. The mask mandates did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? May I read to you? The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illnesses, including COVID-19, was published late last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist who is its lead author, were unambiguous. Quote, there is just no evidence that they make any difference. Full stop, close quote. But wait, hold on. What about N95 masks as opposed to lower quality surgical or cloth masks? Quote, makes no difference. None of them. Close quote, said Jefferson. What about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? Quote, they were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. Close quote. What about the utility of masks in conjunction with other preventive measures, such as hand hygiene, physical distancing, air, filtr- air filtration? Quote, there's no difference that many of these things make any difference, close quote. These observations, Brett Stevens writes, don't come from just anywhere. Jefferson and 11 colleagues, Jefferson and 11 co-authors conducted the study for Cochrane, a British nonprofit that is considered the gold standard for its review of healthcare data. The conclusions were based on 78 randomized controlled trials, six of them during the COVID pandemic, with a total of 610,000, 610,872 participants in multiple countries. And they track what has been widely observed in the United States. States with mask mandates fared no better against COVID than those without. No study or studies, of course, is ever perfect. Science is never absolutely settled. 
What's more, the analysis does not prove that proper masks properly worn had no benefit at an individual level. People may have good personal reasons to wear masks, and they may have the discipline to wear them consistently the way they're recommended to be worn. But when it comes to population-level benefits of masking, the verdict is in. They were a bust. Those skeptics who were furiously mocked as cranks and occasionally censored as misinformers for opposing mandates were right. The mainstream experts and pundits who supported mandates were wrong. In a better world, it would behoove the latter group to acknowledge their error along with its considerable physical, psychological, pedagogical, and political costs. Don't count on it. In congressional testimony this month, Rochelle Walensky, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, called into question the Cochrane analysts' reliance on a small number of COVID-specific randomized controlled trials and insisted that her agency's guidance on masking in schools wouldn't change. If she ever wonders why respect for the CDC keeps falling, she could look to herself and resign and leave it to someone else to reorganize the agency. That, too, probably won't happen. We no longer live in a culture in which resignation is seen as the honorable course for public officials who fail in their jobs. But the costs go deeper. When people say they, quote, trust the science, what they presumably mean is that science is rational, empirical, rigorous, receptive to new information, sensitive to competing concerns and risks, but also humble, transparent, open to criticism, honest about what it doesn't know, and willing to admit error. The CDC's increasingly mindless adherence to its masking guidance is none of those things. It isn't merely undermining the trust it requires to operate as an effective public institution. It is turning itself into an unwitting accomplice to the genuine enemies of reason and science by so badly representing the values and practices that science is supposed to exemplify. It also betrays the technocratic mindset that has the unpleasant habit of assuming that nothing is ever wrong with the bureaucracy's best laid plans, provided, of course, nobody gets in its way. Nobody has a dissenting point of view. Everyone does exactly what it asks, and for as long as officialdom demands. That's the very mentality that once believed that China provided a highly successful model for a pandemic response. Yet there was never a chance that mask mandates in the United States would anywhere get close to 100% compliance or that people would or could wear masks in a way that would meaningfully reduce transmission. Part of the reason is specific to American habits of culture, part of it to constitutional limits on governmental power, part of it to human nature, part of it to competing social and economic necessities, part of it to the evolution of the virus itself. But whatever the reason, mask mandates were a fool's errand from the start. They may have even created a false sense of safety and thus permission to to resume life when you might have been contagious. They did almost nothing to advance safety itself. The Cochrane Report ought to be the final nail in this particular coffin. There's a lesson, a final lesson. The last justifications for masks is that even if they proved to be ineffective, they seemed like a relatively low-cost, intuitively effective way of doing something against the virus in the early days of the pandemic. But do something is not science and shouldn't have been public policy. And the people who had the courage to say as much deserve to be listened to, not treated with contempt. They may not ever get the apology they deserve, but vindication ought to be enough. Oh boy, the comments are off the rails on that story. Off the rails. Incredible. Incredible. Um, Thank you, uh, Brett. Uh, Yeah, there's going to be pressure. 
There's going to be a lot of pressure on them having published that one. (laughs) I'm Seth. We'll be right back. A lot of you have been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about what it could mean for you to invest with them, they would love for you to contact them, and they'll happily put you in touch with any number of their highly satisfied clients and customers in the Phoenix area who have done just that, invested with them, and done very well. Their phone number is 888-YREFI-34. And they'd ask me to ask you how your IRA is doing. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed? Do you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds? And you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or, again, their phone number, 888-Y-Refi-34. It's amazing... Um, kind of bell curve on where our college-age students are on some some of these things we've been talking about. Some who are so woke they seem lost to civilization, and some who are so smart they see through all the smoking clouds of everything that's puffed their way. As you know, I'm, I'm, I kind of like this Wall Street Journal weekly future view section where they put a question to a random sampling of four or five college students. I love this one from a college student, uh, Blake Morrow at Clemson University. Uh, asked a question, have mental health prescriptions gone too far? He writes, nowadays there's a medical solution to all problems, and this generation has become reliant on pills to get through the day. From a sore throat, obesity to suicidal thoughts, there seems to be a little magic pill that can solve any issue. 57% of Gen Z are consistently taking prescription medications, largely to deal with increased rates of both depression and anxiety. Do you know it was that high? 57%? 57% of Generation Z. Whether that's over-prescribing, and even if you take for a moment the argument that it isn't, take for a moment that it's not over-prescribed, that stuff, Think about what that says about a generation suffering depression and anxiety. 57%? Sorry for the parenthetical. He goes on, as Gen Z becomes further removed from fundamental principles of religion and family, this generation is increasingly obsessed with science. Follow the science, they say. Trust the medicine. Young people preach as if chemical formulas can solve all of human nature's problems. Prescriptions offer an easy way out that most in Gen Z are happy to take. Why fix a problem that a pill can suppress? But much of this is only a band-aid to repress deeper root causes than the problems they think they have. Smart kid. Smart kid. I'm Seth Leibson. John Shattuck coming up and in. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.